Or good morning, everybody. My name is Tony Tiemann, and I am the youth pastor here at Parkway Community Church, and I wanted to just give a little background of, of my life and involvement here at Parkway. It all started back for me in 1985. I was an unchurched, unsaved, proclaiming atheist, and some friends from high school, I went to Fairfield High School, some guys on the football team invited me to come and check out this group called High Life. And so I remember New Year's Eve in 1985, I came for the first time into the church there on Broadway Street, where we used to be located. There's a place called the High Life House that was just trash. You'd hit the walls and drywall would crumble down. It was just a real different environment for me. But I remember just expressing to those around me that this place seems different. And I kept coming back. I kept asking questions. A girl gave me a Bible for the first time. And I was just seeking out the Lord. And to make a long story short, just before my senior year of high school, I accepted Christ into my life, like Carl, at Hume Lake Christian Camps. And I graduated in 87, and right away I was able to get plugged in here in the church with the high school youth ministry on staff. And over, the, over that time, since 87 to today, I've been blessed to be part of the youth leadership here and have seen just hundreds and hundreds of, of young people come through these doors and just be blessed and transformed by the work of God in their life. Over those years, I've seen hundreds of students grow up physically from little kids. Like, I remember Peyton as like a two-year-old that kicked back peeing on the, on the ground in front of everybody. <laughs> to now about to head off into missions in Argentina, studying God's word. I remember Carl being my youth leader and living at his house when I had no place to live and, and seeing him continue to serve God and impact many for the kingdom. I've been to graduations, too numerous to to count from junior high, college, high school graduations. I've been to funerals of people in our church, um, one specific youth who passed away from our church, which was really impacting to our community. I've been to sporting events, plays, parties, trips, and many youth activities with, with these youth, and has been, been blessed richly, and our church has been blessed by all the youth that God has poured in and through this church over those years. I've also had my fair share of, of weddings to attend over the years being here since the 80s. And just yesterday, one of our church uh, young men got married. Garrett Borges was married to Danette. And this summer for me has been just a summer of, of numerous weddings. I've been to four weddings of former youth from our church. And I, I brought some pictures. First on June 8th, Justin and Maribel Flavel were married. Yeah. Many of you know both of them. They have served faithfully in our church over the years. They both got saved in junior high and high school, and their lives have been transformed radically. Maribel runs the tutoring center on Grande Circle called the Leaven, and Justin also helps serve there, and they both have served as interns with our youth here and faithfully serve God and, and love God. Then on June 23rd, I was blessed to go to David and Morgan Delahaz's wedding. No claps? No, I <laughs> All right. I don't think they're here, so no worries. Anyways, Morgan Vakurovich, I got to know her when she was a little kid, and growing up in this church, she would go to the Mexico mission trips with our high school group to Tijuana, and Bill and Judy would take her and her older brother, Will, year after year, and I saw her just grow up and continue to blossom spiritually. And David, he's just David, he's a hilarious guy, and, and he too came in junior high and just embraced Christ and has grown, and is a real servant of the Lord and loves people like no one else I know. Third, I went to a wedding on June 30th for Taylor and Jen Elsie now. And oh, yeah, hey, you guys are getting good at this. 
Uh, Taylor, I knew him when he was a little kid too. His sister, Rayanna, was involved in a junior high group, and she would have her little brother tag along sometimes. And when he got plugged into junior high, he just consistently grew and grew closer to Jesus. And, and he met his wife, Jen, when he was going to school at Cal Poly uh, University there in San Luis Obispo. And then my last and final wedding this summer was eight days ago, uh, August 18th. Shadi and Emily Mazub were, all right, <laughs> they were married, and uh, it was just a really cool experience for me. I've, I've known uh, Shadi when he first came in junior high. as just a really young, energetic young man. He had many gifts that God has given him musically, athletically, and he just served faithfully his years in junior high and high school and continued down to Cal Poly also where he met his wife, Emily. And the cool thing for me, these, all, all four of these grooms who I've gotten to know when they came as junior hires, just embraced Christ. They were transformed radically by, by Christ and continued to walk with him uh, to this day. And Dave Herrera, who was the high school director, once they left junior high, they went into Dave's high life ministry here. And he, he and I were talking just eight days ago at the reception about how cool to see these, these really goofy four guys. They're, they're totally unique individuals, but Christ has been the common denominator in all of their lives. And together they have form this cool bond through a lot of tragedy that they've experienced, through difficulties, through loss. And this summer was a really awesome time seeing them knit together in Christ because of the bond that he has formed in them. And to see them marry all four godly women was a huge blessing for Dave and I as we're just sitting back watching all this this summer. Well, my theme for this message, and Carl and Peyton kind of shared about it, is just this transformation that happens when Christ gets a hold of our lives. There's this saying, if you saw the title of the bulletin, it's uh, for this talk, Transformed More Than Meets the Eye. And for me, when I was in high school, there was this cartoon series that came out in 1984. Anybody know what's called the Transformers? That's right. And they had this real cheesy theme song, part of this cartoon series that I've pretty much never forgot once I heard it. And part of the, one of the lines is Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. So that's kind of the theme. I want to show you this cartoon for those of you guys who are underprivileged and weren't able to see this. <laughs> Awesome cartoon. So here's a uh, cartoon for you guys to uh, see the opening. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. The Transformers, robots in disguise. The Transformers. You guys remember that, that cartoon series? Well, that theme came to my mind as I was thinking about this service. Justin and I were just looking at the transformed lives that have happened here and, and really looking at the lives. I didn't want to take a lot of time talking about the Autobots and the Decepticons, about Optimus Prime battling Megatron, but really wanted to look at how... All right, I just talked about it, so ignore that. Uh, rather, I want to talk about how God in his awesome power has transformed the lives of, of our people here at Parkway through the work of Jesus Christ. When we look at a Christian who is saved, who has been regenerated, has been transformed by Christ, there's more that meets the eye if you were to look at that person. They have been brought from death to life. They have brought from darkness into light, kind of like these bright lights that are blinding me right now. And they've also been having their eternal destiny changed from hell and transformed to eventually one day in the presence of God in heaven. And too often our society looks down on young people. We see it all throughout society where 
They see youth of our generation as being unmotivated, disrespectful, undisciplined, and irresponsible. And this is a similar problem that Paul faced when he addressed uh, Timothy, who was a young leader um, of God in 1 Timothy 4.12. This passage says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, Parkway Community Church has been blessed over the years with, with believers who, who truly have never um, had this mindset of looking down on youth because they're young. We've been blessed with, with many adults in our church who have embraced our young people here at Parkway, people who have invested blood, sweat, tears, and money to see our youth embrace and be transformed by Christ. And I am a living testament, and so is Carl, and many here in our church to that fact of God raising up a generation of people in our church who believe in our youth and pray for them and and earnestly want them to be transformed by God. We as a church have been blessed richly over the years by, by seeing children, youth, adults transformed by Jesus Christ over the last 46 some odd years of this church's existence. And Justin Noon's put together a little slideshow that I'm going to show you right now. Some of the, the adults in our church who once were youth and impact, and they look a little different, a little funny sometimes. But here's a little slideshow for you to see a look back at some of the youth who've come through our church. I've never said this before. I've never opened that door so wide. No one else is around. There's no good reason for me to hide. And I I want to be real So I'm throwing out words I don't fully understand I could be talking to myself But I don't think I am Cause you're always there Through the fight Saving my heart from the doubt inside I'm not the man that I was I used to see you in highs and lows But now I keep on believing Even if I can't see you show And I But I don't think I am Cause you're always there Through the fight Saving my heart From the doubt inside And I I wanna be real And I Myself, 
Guffy there at the end. Bring your guff, your stuff to the guff. Well, um, again, let me start in the beginning here. Transform more than meets the eyes. And like Carl and Peyton both express, it's not necessarily the program of quests or the people of quests that transform us. It's God who, through his people, through his ways, transforms us every day. Before I look at the book of Acts with you all, from chapter 9, I wanted to look at the word transformed, just the definition that Webster's gives us. And it says this, the definition of the word transform, to change in condition or character. To change in condition or character. The word transform, for us more specifically, and you guys, if you want to turn to Acts 7 while I'm talking, that's where we're going to go next. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. But to change in one spiritual condition, we were all born at at one time, sinful at birth. We were dead spiritually. Our condition of our hearts were, were separate from God who is perfect and holy. And we are in need of a Savior for that, that dead condition to change. So that's part of his definition, to change in our condition. And because of the work of Christ, his death on the cross, his perfect life sacrifice for our sins, we can have our condition of our heart change from death to life. Our, at that point, our spiritual condition is transformed to to one made alive in Christ and our eternal destination at that point when we're changing our spiritual condition is one that's destined for heaven, no longer hell. Second part of the definition says that it is a change of our character. And we all know that we're pretty messed up people. We have a sinful nature and we, we daily struggle. And we are in need of God to, to daily change our character, our lives, to be more and more like Jesus for those of us who know him. We daily struggle with living for the world compared to living for the word of God. We struggle with living by the flesh and living for the things that we want for ourselves more so than living for the spirit of God and what he desires for us. So when I talk about being transformed somewhat off of this definition, there's kind of two parts. One is our spiritual condition at one time in our lives being transformed, regenerated by God and his work on the cross. And secondly, when I'm talking about the word transform, I'm looking at the daily transformation that should take place for those of us who are his children to daily be more and more like Christ and be sanctified through the process of sanctification daily. Well, we're going to look at Acts 7, verse 54. And to give you a little background, the church of Acts in chapter 3 was just exploding. At, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. Thousands of people were coming to Christ, and the Holy Spirit was falling on them. They were being baptized, and there was this radical movement in Jerusalem that was happening at that time. The 12 apostles in chapter 6 of Acts were being overwhelmed by all the needs that were in front of them. You know, with thousands of people coming to God, there was uh, the responsibility of teaching the people who were just embracing Christ and being transformed by him. There's also need to take care of the needs of the church. And the apostles noticed that the widows were not being taken care of like they should. And so the 12 apostles pulled the whole multitude of the church together and said, we need to come up with seven uh, men full of the Holy Spirit who can serve the needs of, of people like the women who are being neglected, who are widows. 
So one of these men, to give a little background heading into chapter 9, was a, was a guy named Stephen. He was picked by the believers to help serve the church. And very quickly, Stephen, who had a really short ministry because of his untimely death, was just being used in a radical way in Jerusalem as he was picked as one of the seven deacons to lead the masses there in Jerusalem. Stephen was making such a big impact that some of the religious leaders of the day were just feeling threatened by the impact that he was having. There were signs, there was wonders that were happening through him, and, and all of a sudden there was these rumors that, that the leaders um, of that day were, were bringing, that he was speaking blasphemy, that he was teaching opposite of who God was and what he was about. They spread rumors and lies about Stephen, that he was also blaspheming the teachings of Moses. So Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin. This was a judicial council that was, was there to help deal with people speaking blasphemy and issues like that. So in front of the Jewish council, he defended himself rightly and just explained um, basically what they were saying about him was not true. And then as he spoke, it was interesting in, in Acts, it says that the Sanhedrin, this religious group of leaders, as they listened to his defense, looked at his face and it said that his face appeared like that of an angel. And as he spoke, he testified straight with them. He spoke directly to, to their hypocrisy and their um, incorrectness in how they were looking at, at God and his word. He told them that they were the ones who were stiff-necked, uncircumcised. He told them that they were the ones who betrayed Jesus and were responsible for his murder. And that didn't go over too well with the Sanhedrin, as we will see here in Acts Chapter 7, verse 54. I'll read to you, uh, starting at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed Together at him, when they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold the sin against them." And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He passed away. Again, this was a really short ministry that Stephen had. He was called to be a leader, and then here. He was falsely accused, he defended himself rightly, and then he was dragged out by this mob and, and killed. So to summarize, Stephen, in this situation, as he was being dragged out, he had this vision from God where he saw Jesus standing, instead of sitting, standing at the right hand of God the Father. And, and Jesus was just ministering to him and giving him that encouragement as he was entering this dark and evil time. The people dragged him out of the city. They took these stones and, and just crushed his body, executing him. And we're first introduced to this new character, a guy named Saul, in verse 58. He was a guy who was gathering and watching over the garments so the men can throw these stones and kill one of God's uh, chosen deacons, Stephen. We learn more about Saul here in verse 1 of the next chapter. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church 
And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So Saul, we see, is a very bad man, totally against the Christians who were being raised up there in Jerusalem. He took it as his mission in in verse 1, showing his approval to the execution of Stephen, this religious leader. Then in verse 3, it says that he went out and was ravaging the church. He was entering houses. He was dragging out men and women and taking them off to prison. And this persecution was getting so intense. Often in prison, they would be mistreated. They would be be left to die or, or even killed through torture. And Paul was, or Saul, sorry, was just really intent on seeing the disciples of Christ eradicated. So the good news we see in this passage in chapter 8 was that the, the Christians were scattered, and they didn't just run and hide, but they went out preaching the word of God wherever they went. And it says they went to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, continuing to, to spread Christ to all that they would encounter. Now in Acts chapter 9, Saul was kind of taking his attacks to a new level. You know, Jerusalem, he had you know, ravaged the church there, and now he wanted to move on to Damascus. We'll see here what happens in verse 1 of chapter 9. I will jump ahead. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now Saul hated the followers of Jesus so much that he was now going to make this trip 150 miles from Jerusalem up north to uh, the town of Damascus. So he went to the high priest. He got a list of names of those who are associated with Christ. And he was going to go there and bind them and bring them back 150 miles back to Jerusalem to be tried and thrown also into prison. Now we're about to see here in verses 3 to 9 how Jesus encounters Saul, this persecutor of the church, and just radically changes his life forever. Verse 3, now as he, this is Saul, as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now this is pretty incredible. This is a man who was raised up to attack God's people. And on this way, on this 150-mile journey, somewhere in their, on his way to Damascus with this list of people to bind up, to pull from their homes, men and women, he was blinded by this light from heaven. And then this voice from heaven came out and just stopped him in his tracks and asked him why he was persecuting him. And it was Jesus speaking to, to Saul and just stopping him from the plans that Saul had. And he was led by the hand like a child the rest of the way to Damascus, it says there in Acts 9. And for three days, Saul was just holed up in this house, praying, we see later, to God. And, and without eating anything or drinking anything, he was just being still with no sight, with no food, with no drink. The story continues, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. That is an awesome transformation. We see Ananias, this follower of God in Damascus, was, was being warned by the people of Damascus about this evil man named Saul who was coming to bind the men and women who were part of the way, part of this movement of God, and he was going to drag them off to court. But then God speaks to Ananias and tells him that, that Saul was actually his chosen instrument to, to bring his name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel. And it's awesome to know that sometimes we feel these threats of the world against us as, as believers, and God can take those threats and turn them around into mighty weapons for his kingdom. See, Saul was coming as a threat to the believers in Damascus, and we'll see here how he was just transformed by God through Ananias' obedience. Ananias found Saul on a specific street. It's kind of like a little GPS map that God gave him. Go to Straight Street, go to Judas' house, you'll find a man inside. And there he was. He came in, laid hands on Saul, he delivered this message, and then immediately... God healed him of his blindness, and he was baptized. Saul was miraculously transformed by God. He came as a persecutor of the church, and here he encountered Christ, who spoke to him and stopped him in his tracks. And we see in verse 19, the rest of this passage I want to read to you today, the effects of this transformation on Saul. Verse 19 continues, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing that Jesus was the Christ. Praise God, Saul was transformed for those who looked at him, there was more than met the eye. Saul came as his persecutor. When, when Jesus transformed him, he now was one of his children. God graciously saved Saul. In Acts 13, his name was changed to Paul. And he, he transformed Saul from a man who was living a sinful, wretched life against God and leading a life that would lead him to eternal separation from God one day. And by his grace, he transformed Saul into a, a man who was doing God's work and would one day eternally live forever in heaven. Paul was used by God to help spread Christ from this point all over the region. He was used by God to write almost half of the books of the New Testament that we read today. 
And this is a huge transformation. And just as Paul was transformed in Damascus by, by Jesus and through the faithful work of Ananias in his life, I also, on July 31st, 1986, was transformed by Jesus when he reached down to me and saved me. I was a lost youth who came to this church and had no clue of who God was, and just through the working of God in my life and through his people, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, I was drawn to him at 9.01 p.m. I'm a time-detailed guy, and I remember looking at my watch after I surrendered my life to Christ, and it was an awesome time where, where I just felt this peace that came over me, just knowing that I was God's child, and I was transformed forever. And God is still in the work of transforming lives amongst us. I had a, a really cool opportunity four weeks ago to, to be a counselor again at Hume Lake Christian Camps, a place where, again, Carl and I were saved. And I've seen God just use that place in a radical way in many lives of our, our people here at Parkway, our youth. And when I was there, I had five young boys, some junior hires who, who put up with my snoring and my, my uh, antics with them. And we had an awesome time just seeking God together and God was moving and transforming us in, in a really incredible ways. Well, the last day of camp, it was Friday. We were about to leave the first thing the next morning after breakfast. Uh, Justin Nunes came over to me from the high school side of camp and just told me about uh, this guy, Dylan Youngborg, who is here today with us. And he shared with me how, how Dylan has felt this prodding of God, that he needed to follow God in, in baptism. I talked to Justin last night and Tim White, his counselor, this morning, and they just felt that God was was stirring uh, Dylan's heart, and he just knew he had to be faithful to God and, and follow him in baptism, and he, he felt led to be baptized right there at Hume Lake. So Justin told me on Friday at lunch how he had talked to uh, Dylan's parents, and, and they gave their blessing for, for Dylan to be baptized, and they really wanted their son, Tyler, who was in my cabin at junior high camp, to go and witness his big brother's baptism. So here's a picture of Tyler there in the yellow shorts with some of the high school students. We let him escape the junior high camp and go over to the high school to see his brother be baptized. And Dylan here, young boy, was, was baptized by Justin there at Hume Lake, following the Lord and his leading, and just continued to be transformed in his character day after day. And it was a really cool, cool time for, for Tyler to witness that, for the high school students to see a young man being faithful to God and a call in his life. Uh, later that, that night, we had our last event for camp. Tyler came back and joined us at the junior high camp. And the, the last part of camp at Hume Lake is to have this time that they call Victory Circle. And at Victory Circle, there's this huge amphitheater where all 500-plus junior hires and counselors are squished into this, this big seating area. And I was in the front row with uh, the guys from my cabin, and right next to me, was Tyler, and the director of the camp gave his last invitation. Uh, they had heard about Christ all week, the students, and uh, he wanted to give one last opportunity before the students left first thing in the morning to consider receiving Christ into their life. And after he shared the gospel and what Christ has done for them, he gave the invitation for those who wanted to receive Christ for the very first time to stand up and proclaim that. And right away, right beside me, Tyler uh, the one who was sitting there watching his brother get baptized, stood up on his feet. And in front of, again, 500-plus people, he just loudly proclaimed, my name is Tyler Youngboard. I want to receive Christ into my life. And talking to his parents, they said, that is totally not something that Tyler would do, is stand up in front of strangers and just proclaim Christ like that. And he did, and right there, 
after everybody left, I got a chance to pray with Tyler, and he just had this, this joy and this beam in his eyes where he just invited Christ into his life. For the first time, I, I took a picture of Tyler with the camp director right after he got saved, Friday, August 3rd. I looked at my watch. It was 10.30 p.m. <laughs> uh, and it was just really cool. Derek here, I've known for a long time, just hugged him and, and encouraged him, and Tyler and I got to walk back to the campgrounds, and we called his parents, and they were excited for him, and, and this is a really awesome day for the Youngborg family, having their oldest get baptized, and now their son receive Christ. I, I went and took him to the cabin, to tell the guys, I'm going to leave you guys, be good, we're going to go find his big brother, and they just laid hands on Tyler, these junior high boys, and were just praying over him. It was just a really, really cool, cool sight to see. And as we're heading out, some other guys from a different church saw Tyler. He shared with them about his new decision, his new relationship with Christ, and they just hugged him. These strange guys from another church were on our team. And it was just a really cool time of seeing God work in Tyler's life and those around him. So we're able to find Dylan. I again snapped this picture when Tyler got to share with his big brother about his decision. They just hugged each other and embraced. And it was just a real beautiful moment that, that God was transforming the Youngborg family in a in an awesome way. The, uh, the rest of our time at camp was very short, but we just saw God using that week in a, in a radical way. The students were pulled away from the distractions of cell phones, you know, of video games, of TVs, of, of iPods, and they were just there in God's creation, embracing God, and God was working and calling his children to himself. There was time spent memorizing scripture. All five of the guys in my cabin just poured over God's word each day that we were there. They were up till sometimes one in the morning trying to memorize scripture. And during free time, instead of playing in the pool, they were just quizzing each other on, on God's word. And it was just really cool to see them just filling their lives with God and his word. At chapel, the students were rushing to the front row. As soon as the chapel doors opened, they would run amongst 500 other junior hires and, and just fight to get in the front row so they could be taught God's word and to be engaged in worship without distraction. You know, they were... They're being taught several times a day. They were encouraging each other. They were praying for each other. They were confessing their sins to each other. It was just a really awesome, powerful time of God transforming the youth four weeks ago at camp. And the same is true for us who know God. To experience this transforming work of Jesus like Saul did, like Carl and I and the youth at camp did, it's God that must do it. It's not our efforts or our works that are going to save us, but it's God working in and through us. And often this transformation does happen through God's people, through us pouring into God's word, memorizing, feasting on it, choosing to live for him and to fast and to pray and to go out and witness for him. God uses those acts of obedience in our life to transform us and make us more and more like Christ. We saw this in the early church that the church was being transformed daily. They were being taught by the apostles. They were selling their goods and giving to those in need and they were praying and fasting, and, and God was moving as they were going out amongst persecution of seeing their leader killed in front of their eyes, amongst seeing their friends pulled out of their houses and thrown into prison. They were going out and preaching the gospel all over through Judea and Samaria. And God is doing a mighty work of transformation here at Parkway. I see it through adults here, the little children who are being transformed by God and following after his way. And I just want to give an invitation for anyone here who does not know God. If you were to ask yourself if you know him, you wouldn't be able to answer that question matter-of-factly. I just want to encourage you that 
if God is tugging on your heart to, to, to learn more what it means to be his child, to receive that transforming power like Saul did, like many of us here have, I encourage you to talk to one of the leaders of this church, one of the deacons, one of the elders, one of those staff members who stood up earlier, and just, they would love to share you about how to know the ultimate transformer, Jesus Christ. The transform, there's more than meets the eye. I just want to close our time in prayer and watch this video of our youth from this past year and the things that they've been able to encounter and be a part of. And my hope is that all of us will continue to pray for our young people, continue to, to support them, whatever that means for you, and to, to continue to see God's transforming work in and through our young people here at Parkway Community Church. And when you see these young people who have been transformed by God, just know there's more that meets the eye. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the work that you're doing here in our midst. God, I thank you for your transforming power that none of us can, can muster up. God, it's you that works and changes. I thank you that you've changed Saul, that you've changed me, that you've changed many of us here. God, I pray that you continue your, your powerful work. We plead that you would just cause us to be more and more like Jesus every day. And again, just pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, God, that they would seek you and find you quickly. I thank you again for the youth. Thank you for these pictures that we'll see of, of just the awesome youth that you bless this church with faithfully year after year. God, students who are, are not unmotivated and not undisciplined and not irresponsible, but they are handling your word and loving you and being transformed by you, Father. We praise you for that. We give you the rest of this day and this week that you just transform us daily, God. We praise in your, your name. Amen.